Good morning. My name is Kevin DeYoung, and um, as Jeff mentioned in uh, prayer, I uh, recently have started working uh, at Grace Valley. So I'm new here. My wife is there, Michelle, and my daughter, Nicola, as well. Um, we're really excited uh, to be a part of Grace Valley. Um, we're working on a, a project in St. George. If you haven't heard about it, I'd be happy to, uh, to tell you about all the exciting things that are happening there. Um, we're hoping to, to begin a, a site of Grace Valley in St. George. And so as much as we love you and we love to be here, our goal is actually to, um, to plant a new work, to plant a new church there. And so um, if you're interested in that, if you want to know more, we're really excited to tell you about what's happening this fall there. And so please um, come talk to me or um, someone else you might know who's involved in that. And we'd love to, we'd love to engage with you. Let's talk about Jonah. So the story of Jonah is, is probably familiar to most of us. If you don't know much about Jonah, you, you probably know some of the details of the story. You know that Jonah is a prophet from God and he's at sea and he gets thrown overboard and he goes into the belly of a big fish. It's kind of... Uh, a, a great children's Bible story, and, and we all know those details. But what do we know about Jonah, the person? What is he like? Who is he? What led him to that plight? This morning in Jonah 1, we're going to learn that Jonah is really not a very upstanding guy. He's actually quite selfish. He wishes that a whole city of people would die. And, and he feels indifferent about the plight of a bunch of sailors. Jonah is running away from God because he thinks that he knows best. At the heart of the story of Jonah, we also see grace. We see the grace of God. We see God's grace at every turn. Despite Jonah's rebellion... God offers him grace. God also offers grace to the sailors. And later in the story, in chapter 3, God offers grace to the city of Nineveh. Author Jerry Bridges defined the grace of God with this one sentence. He says that grace is God reaching downward toward a people who are in rebellion towards him. The book of Jonah gives us a clear visual of sin and grace. Sin is running away from God, and grace is God reaching in, going after us despite our attempts to run. Jonah is in active rebellion against God, and we'll see that he comes face to face with a huge storm that God has hurled upon him. And we'll see how he responds. This passage will give us a chance to reflect on how our own heart responds to God's grace. How do we understand our relationship to God? How have we responded to God's call to us? This passage shows us that God's mercy should compel us to obey him. God's mercy should compel us to obey him. And we're going to look at the passage under three headings. We're going to go through the passage um, we're going to see that Jonah runs. 
We're going to see that God rules, and we're going to see that God rescues. Jonah runs, God rules, and God rescues. First, Jonah runs. Verse 1 and 2, God gives Jonah a task. It says this, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to, to, pre, to announce God's judgment on them. But Jonah goes the other way. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah jumps on a boat headed for Tarshish, which is the absolute opposite way of Nineveh. And it even says that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He, he's running from this call. And so we have to ask, why is Jonah running from God's call? We know that from later in the story, that Jonah doesn't want to tell Nineveh. He doesn't want to warn Nineveh of God's judgment. Because Jonah knows that as soon as the Ninevites repent, if they do repent, God will relent and God will save them. And this is precisely what happens at the end of the book of Jonah. We're not in a series, so I get to be a spoiler. In the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah preaches God's wrath to the city of Nineveh. They repent, and God foregoes judgment. He relents. And in chapter 4, Jonah actually gets angry at God. He says, I knew it. I knew you would do that. I knew that you, he actually says this, I knew that you are merciful, slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love. And he basically says to God, kill me now. He's so mad that God relented and saved a whole city of people. Jonah ran because he didn't like what God was going to do. God was going to show mercy to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't believe that the city of Nineveh deserved mercy. And I, I think we can be sympathetic to Jonah in some senses here, because um, from history we know that the Ninevites, on all accounts, were actually really wicked. The, this, is a, this is a major city in Assyria, and, and we have accounts of Assyrian emperors gloating in their violent war victories by recording the, the gory details of, of planes covered in corpses. And they assign people to, to draw depictions of decapitations, gloating in their, in their victories. And so Jonah, being, being part of a smaller nation who was, who was coming under more and more threat of the Assyrians, he, he, he wanted them to have what was coming to them. But there's a bit of irony to this story. Yet, yes, Nineveh did deserve what was coming, but what about Jonah? Was Jonah any better? We see throughout the first chapter of Jonah that he's really not. Jonah is selfish and he's, he's entitled. He seems to care only about himself. He doesn't see himself as similar to Nineveh in any way. He was an Israelite prophet. He was a, he was a messenger of God from the people of God. 
And there's a, there's a sense of entitlement that Jonah had. He, there's something inside of him that believed that there's something about his relationship with God that's special, that he deserved more than others. He believed that other people, he believed particularly the Ninevites, didn't deserve to be saved from impending judgment, and they didn't even deserve to be warned. Jonah is operating from a misunderstanding of God's grace. He's, his working assumption is that he deserves somehow the grace of God more than the Ninevites. And his selfishness and his sense of entitlement led him to run the opposite way of God's call. How do you respond to God's call on your life? This story should make us pause and take stock of our own understanding of God's grace and how it plays out in our life. If, if you are a Christian, we all have the same call on our life, to love God and to love neighbor. More specifically, Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 that we are called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to tell people about what we have, this salvation in Christ. Are you guilty of trying to escape God's call on your life? Jonah was actively running away from God's call because he didn't want to be, God to be merciful to the Ninevites. But our running might look different than Jonah's. One of the reasons that, that I run or hide from God's call to, to tell others about Jesus is indifference. Like Jonah, it is a matter of how much I care for other people. On the one hand, Jonah seemed to care a lot that Nineveh wasn't warned. But on the other hand, he didn't care for the people. He didn't care for the lives of the Ninevites. And maybe he wanted them to feel God's wrath, but he at least didn't care for them enough to warn them. And this is where I find myself so often. I'm indifferent to the call of God because I don't care about others enough. I'm too caught up in myself. I'm living my day-to-day -day life. I'm making sure I am comfortable and the goals I want to achieve are getting done. I'm following my own desires and I'm indifferent to God's will. And there is a problem. We, Christians like Jonah, misunderstand or downplay the grace of God in our lives. Our indifference and our focus on self leads us to run from God, to run from God's call. And this is a problem. This is a problem for us because indifference is disobedience. It's running from God. And it's also a problem for the world around us who needs to hear the grace of God. This brings us to the, the next section of the story. Jonah is now, he's on a boat. He's, he's headed in the opposite direction that God has called him. And we're going to see in this section that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over Jonah's story, and he's sovereign over ours. We're going to see that God rules. Notice how God is in control of the whole story. First we see in verse 4 that 
God throws the storm at the boat. And, and no one questions this. It wasn't a regular storm. The sailors who are sailors, they've been in a storm before. They recognize this. They, they, be, they know that there's some higher power in control of this storm. And they begin throwing cargo over and calling to their gods. It seems like a storm they haven't seen before. And second, we see that God is in control through the lots that were cast. Lots are like dice, so that they're casting a lot where trying to decide whose fault it is, who, whose God is bringing this upon us. And God is in control even of those. The sailors cast lots to see which of them is responsible for this storm being thrown at them. And the lots fall on Jonah. And the sailors turn to him and they begin questioning him. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? Why are you running from, this, from God? And he said that he was a Hebrew, that he worshipped the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea in the dry land. And this scared the sailors, and they right away asked him, what do we need to do? It's interesting, Jonah knew that he was the problem all along. But he waited until the dice or the lots were cast on him. He still thinks to the very last moment that he can hide from God. And he's also putting the lives of the sailors at risk by waiting and waiting. He's asleep in the deepest part of the boat, hiding from God. He's like a trained medical doctor stuck in a room full of sick people hiding the fact that he knows how to save them. Jonah is indifferent to the plight of Nineveh and he's indifferent to the plight of the sailors. His selfishness blinds him from the fact that he could save the sailors simply by praying to God, which he doesn't do, and repenting of his rebellion. He thinks that he can escape the presence of God. He resorts to being thrown overboard a ship so that he can escape the situation. And notice, he doesn't have care for the sailors. He's only focused on himself. And the third way we see God is in control of the story is that he made the sea stop raging after Jonah was thrown overboard. After the sailors threw Jonah into the water, presumably to his death, the sea stops raging. And they know, the sailors know that the Lord, Jonah's God, is in control of the heavens and the earth. And they were seized by a great fear. There's a more literal translation is, they feared a great fear, the Lord. It was clear, God was in control. Jonah can't run from God despite his best efforts. And almost comedically, in Jonah's efforts to run from God's intention to save the city of Nineveh, Jonah takes part 
in saving the lives of sailors. In the end, they offered sacrifice to God and they made vows, presumably, to worship God. God's sovereign mercy is the answer to the problem of our indifference and our self-centeredness. Jonah is like a toddler or maybe a teenager who is complete, in complete defiance of their parents, running away from God. Yet God is in control of the entire story and he's working his will despite the rebellion of Jonah. And so, in this story, we see God's grace at every turn. And almost as a contrast, we have Jonah. Jonah defies God at every turn. And it leads him into the swirling sea. At the beginning, Jonah runs away because he is certain that God is making the wrong choice. And as the story unfolds, we see that Jonah doesn't care about the plight of the sailors. And this is contrasted with the sailors' concern for Jonah. Jonah says, toss me overboard and your problem will be solved. And instead, in verse 13 of 14, it says, The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to, Lord, to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. The sailors were not indifferent to Jonah. They loved him enough and they feared God enough to try anything they could not to kill him. Jonah was indifferent to the plight of the sailors because he was so focused on himself, running from God's call, unwilling to repent, turn back, and follow God's purpose for him. What is our response? What is your response to God's call on your life? In what way are you like Jonah? Maybe you are in active rebellion like Jonah is towards his call to Nineveh. Running away from God, thinking that you can hide. Maybe you are indifferent like Jonah. You're going about your days and weeks indifferent to God's call on your life and the people around you. Jonah's attempt at hiding his indifference towards God led him to a much worse place. By the end of our chapter, Jonah is not just running from God. He's sinking down to the bottom of the ocean. If God is sovereign and in control, then why wouldn't he punish Jonah's rebellion? What kind of God would he be if he didn't? Jonah got what he deserved when he ran from God. He got what he deserved because he didn't care for the sailors. And he was paying the price. But God was gracious again. We see in verse 17 that God rescues. God rescues. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Even when Jonah was sinking down into the depths of the sea, 
he cannot escape the presence of God. He cannot escape the mercy of God. Only God can arrange a fish to pick up Jonah on the verge of death and save him. In the same way, only God can arrange for our salvation and take us from the death and condemnation that we deserve and give us life and purpose beyond our wildest dreams. Just like Jonah was not left to the consequences of his rebellion, in Christ, you don't have to be either. God hurled a storm at Jonah. And on the cross, God hurls his condemnation. That same condemnation that he had for Nineveh, he hurls it on Jesus. Jesus takes the, con- the consequences of our selfishness and our indifference upon himself, and he faces the condemnation that it deserves. God's righteous justice is satisfied at the cross for you and me if we turn to him and place our faith in him. Jesus then spends three days and three nights in a tomb. Like Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death, and he is now ascended king of the world. Jonah was an unwilling prophet. He he was unwilling to save Nineveh. And so he asked to be thrown to his death. In his unwillingness, he actually saved the sailors by being thrown out of the boat. We can contrast this with Jesus' willingness. Jesus is a willing Savior. He has every right to be entitled. Jesus didn't use his entitlement to let us have what we deserve. He didn't use his standing, his relationship with God to let us have what we deserve. But he laid it aside and he died for you and me. And so by placing your faith in Jesus, in what he has done, turning from your entitlement and your indifference, you're running away from God's call, you can also have new life. By faith in Christ, we are united to him in his death and resurrection. God is a just God who cannot let sin and evil go unpunished. Our rebellion, our indifference deserves God's wrath. But on the cross, Jesus takes God's wrath from those who believe. We get the opposite of what we deserve. God's grace at every turn. And this is nothing, as we see in the book of Jonah, or in chapter 1, this is not our doing. In salvation through Christ, God is taking us, dead, sunk people, and he is making us alive again by the power of the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 2, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. 
Salvation is only God's doing. There's nothing we can add to God's salvation of us or of anyone else. And this is what we see in Jonah 1. God saves the sailors. Jonah doesn't. Jonah deserves what he has coming, but God in his sovereign mercy saves him too. And later in the book, God saves Nineveh from impending doom. Grace at every turn. And so what? So what do we do? What do we do with this passage? We're going to spend a few moments talking about four application points. First, one of our questions might be, well, what difference does it make whether I believe in this God or not? If he's going to do his sovereign will with or without me, what difference does it make? One of the things that we see in this passage is that though God is gracious, he's gracious to save Jonah, Jonah's sin and rebellion still has consequences. Jonah still spent three days in the belly of the fish. He still was thrown overboard a shipwreck. Our sin has consequences, and the consequences of our sin hurts us and others around us. We can also look at other passages in the Bible, like Romans 6, where, where Paul, in response to the free grace, the same free grace, says, well, what should we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it in any longer? In other words, the grace of Jesus Christ changes us. Not all at once, but as we continue to live lives of faith and repentance, we will be able to live more and more into the obedience that God has for us, into obedience of God's call. Second application is, we need to reflect more on the incredible grace of God. We need to reflect more on the incredible grace of God. How does the grace that God has offered to you and I change the way that we see the world around us? Jonah misunderstood his relationship with God. He believed at some level that he deserved or he was entitled to the standing he had with God and others didn't. And this belief led him to run from God's call. Do you misunderstand God's grace for you? Is is there a sense of entitlement in you? Maybe like like me, you you grew up in church, you never ruffled any feathers, you said and did all the right things, you you come to church week in and week out. Is there something in you that believes you've earned something from God? Only in Christ Christ. Have we earned our standing with God? And so delight in that. Delight in his grace for you. Delight that Christ, that in Christ, God delights in you. We have a standing that we cannot earn. Embrace 
God's delight in you because of Christ. Third point of application is repent. Repent of your rebellion and believe in Jesus. The story of Jonah acts as a warning and a call to repentance as well. You've seen in this story the incredible grace of God at every turn. We see God's heart for the nations, God's heart for the people of Nineveh, for the sailors, and even for Jonah. Seeing God's grace in this story is an invitation for all of us to look at our own hearts and repent of our rebellion and believe in Jesus. God's desire is that all are saved. We see this in this story, and we see this other places in Scripture. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That's his promise to come again, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to eternal life. This is the heart of our God. This is the grace of our God at every turn. The Lord wishes everyone to come to repentance. God is incredibly gracious. So turn to him. Repent of your unwillingness and your rebellion to his call. And place your faith in him. Last point of application. God has been gracious by reaching down to us despite our rebellion and sin, and saving us through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We were once dead in the water. And so how could we hold on to this message of salvation that we have, that we have embraced? How could we not proclaim it to our nation, to our town, to our friends, to our family. Like Jonah, it's a matter of life and death. Jonah was called to proclaim God's word to the nations. His misunderstanding of God's grace led him to run the other way. Our new understanding of God's grace should compel us to obey him and go. Make disciples of all nations. Begin where God has placed you. Start praying for your neighbors, for coworkers, family members, friends. Pray that God would give you opportunities. And remember the story of Jonah. Remember that God is the one who saves. Our call is to proclaim. The story of Jonah is about a lot more than a guy and a fish. It's about a very stubborn guy and a God who is abounding in mercy. Jonah got God's grace all wrong. God's mercy towards us should compel us to obey his call on our life. Let's pray. Father, we are 
just in awe of you, of your mercy that you've shown, you showed to Jonah, the same mercy that you've shown, you show to us, that you give us in Christ. And so, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for our rebellion, for our running from you, for the fact that we don't acknowledge you as Lord of our lives, that we're trying to claim our own lives back for ourselves, Lord, and so forgive us. And Lord, we thank you for the mercy that you give us in Christ, that in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, you delight in us. You forgive our sin. You give us a new purpose. You've made a way for us. And so, Lord, send us. Send us out to proclaim this message of grace and mercy. And, Lord, save those whom we love for your glory. Lord, you love, you desire that all are saved. And so, Lord, do a work here in Dundas. Do a great work in St. George. Do a great work in our nation and in our world. Call many to repent and believe in you. Lord, we praise you for your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have some time, I think. Yep, for questions, Q&A. So uh, you can feel free to raise your hand and uh, ask questions kind of the old school way. Or if you need to, my number is on the screen. And uh, I have my phone here. And so you can just text me with, with a question. Any questions? I have a question here. I'll read it. Um, do you think that Jonah may have had a sense of fear also? A lack of faith that God would not spare him if he told Ninevites to repent? Hold on. There's a lot more to this one. Um, for, for example, what if... What if one of us were called to fly to Russia and preach to Putin to repent? I don't know if I could do it. That's a good question. Yes, I, I think so. I think that's true. Um, yeah, I think no, um, Jonah would have, would have had a, a sense of fear. Um, I think it, it does become clear later in the book, though, in chapter 4, that his main concern was that God would relent. He, he, he says it. He, said, he, he, he does get really mad at God. He says, I knew that you would do it. And so probably, and I, and I think all of us have a sense, especially um, the call to evangelism for, for Christians is um, very scary. And maybe in, in our current culture as well, where um, 
Christianity can, could, could be seen as, as kind of old school, something that's, that's kind of backwards, not, not in the trajectory of our society. Um, it, it's a scary thing to, to put ourselves out there and to say, hey, I believe in a God. <laughs> um, they're like, what? We don't understand a, a God. We, we can only understand the things that we understand. And so um, I think fear ha- is part of it. But, um, but for Jonah, the, the, the main particular issue for him was um, he didn't want Nineveh. He didn't want God to relent. Any other questions? Yeah, John. Yeah. Yeah, so um, what about, the question is, what about justice for the victims of Nineveh's crimes? Um, yes, so I think the way that this passage works and in, in, in history, um, God does serve justice. The, the Assyrian kingdom does fall. Um, and so it, it happens eventually in, in one sense. Um, but that's what's so great about God's, God's grace on the other side is that God is a just God, and he exacts his wrath on Jesus for those who put their faith in him, right? And so on the cross, Jesus accepts, he, 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 he takes on that portion of justice. And I, and I think, that, I mean, there's so many things to talk about with justice, right? There's also the reality that our sin has consequences, um, and there is good kind of earthly justice that needs to happen for, for sin. And so um, when it says that God relents, it doesn't mean he lets them off the hook, right? They still sinned. They still have to answer for, for what happened. Um, and the victims still were hurt, right? Any other questions? I do have one more. I'm not sure how much time, all the time in the world. Well, it's the same question. Same, very similar question. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. Pardon? Did Jonah live? Well, he, not like, he lived. Um, Jonah did live. He, he prayed in the belly of the fish. Um, you can keep reading. It's, a, it's only a couple chapters of the book. Um, he prayed a, a prayer of some sort of repentance in the belly of the fish. And then he did obey to some extent and go to Nineveh um, but he got very mad at God at the end and um, we don't the story kind of ends at a cliffhanger we don't Jonah there wasn't like it wasn't like a, a happy ending story and so um, Jonah lived from the fish um, but but he still wanted God to kill him in the end yeah so it's it's a real story of rebellion for us to to, to see to look at and uh, We're not sure. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Um, you know, the, the story of Jonah is endlessly fascinating because he's got to be one of the most unsavory characters in the whole Bible. Like, he's just... He's just slimy from beginning to end. It's quite, it's quite remarkable that he can make a confession of faith from the belly of the fish, get spit out onto the land so he gets to live. He goes to Nineveh. His sermon is, 
40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's his sermon. <laughs> You're going to get smoked. They repent. Then he's mad at God for actually forgiving them their sin. He's angry enough to die, he says. And then the story's over. He is like the worst prophet ever. But when you, when you face the fact, like the fundamental problem with him is, is he thinks some people should get God's grace and some people shouldn't. Now take that home and wrestle with that yourself. Are there, are there people that you think, well, like the gospel shouldn't be so easy for them to just ask for forgiveness and be saved. It should be for me because I haven't really done a lot of bad things. But those murderers and rapists and, and genocidal maniacs out there, those people, those Ninevites, they can just repent and it's all paid for. We had that question about justice. What about the people who are victims of Nineveh? This is how justice works, friends. Either God makes you pay or makes his son pay. Justice is always done. Sin and evil is conquered through judgment. But the difference is, are you going to put your trust in Jesus so that the judgment you deserve is laid on him? Or are you going to say, fine, I'll stand and take it myself. So if you're, if you're a Ninevite or a 21st century Canadian and you choose to stand on your own in front of the judgment seat of God then it's your blood that's going to pay. And the, the dark side of the gospel or the hard edge of the gospel is, is that you will pay for eternity. It's an eternal life sentence. That's why the message of the gospel is flee, turn, repent, hold on to Jesus and allow his death and his payment to cover you. That's what we confess, proclaim, hold on to, believe, and are strengthened to live by when we go to the table. 